So hi there everyone, welcome back to MindCare Club's podcast, a podcast on mental health matters. We're capping off stress timber with a two-part episode on the topic that is very timely, healthcare worker burnout brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. And since Janine is part of our healthcare workforce, she'll be leading today's interview with MindCare Club's lead psychiatrist, Dr. Trina Delaliana. Hi Dr. Trina, so today we'll be talking about burnout for healthcare and frontliners. Are there any early signs that you might be able to say that you may be experiencing burnout? All right, hi Janine. So yeah, so there are a lot of signs that we can notice about burnout. Number one, it's important that, you know, a lot of the burnout you feel is related to your work. It's not necessarily negative feelings you might have about your personal life, your home life, your family life. It's really about work. Feeling always tired, feeling that you're emotionally exhausted. You've got nothing left to give, which leads us then to being, sadly enough, a little less sympathetic towards your patients, towards those under your care, towards even those you work with. So uh, that's another one, having no emotional reserves, seeing people as, not as people anymore, but as things to settle or as another task just to get over and done with. Then the last one is feeling a very, very low sense of personal accomplishment. So how does that work with healthcare workers? I suck. Am I turning stupid? I'm not helping. Maybe I'm making them worse. Am I effective? That kind of thing. That then brings along a whole bunch of other baggage. How it kind of feeds on each other. So having negative feelings about it decreases motivation, which makes doing the next task really, really heavy. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, how will a healthcare worker know that this might be different from something like maybe a depressive episode? It's actually really hard to tell on the outset. Let's go back to how you asked about early signs. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, you don't notice the early signs. You kind of notice when you're there already. If it stretches out that you're unhappy at work, you're always tired, you don't feel like you're doing as well as you could, or you used to, that's going to tell us that, you know, it could be burnout. Now, how to tell between that and actual mental illness? Off the top of my head, I'd really say maybe best to consult someone for it. But for yourself, as long as you're in distress, those two are definitely differentials, things to think about. Quickest way probably is to see if you're still able to function at all, even with the basic stuff, getting up every day, being able to do what you're supposed to do, your concentration, your feelings of self-worth, are you thinking of harming yourself? It's all of a piece. It's a very good sign if you're still able to cheer yourself up or make yourself feel better. But even for those who are burned out, it's not always a guarantee. It definitely bears thinking about, but best to consult. And that makes sense in line with looking at the person if the impairment is getting bad enough to affect your work or their family life or other aspects of your life to be able to know whether it's already a disorder. No? Yeah, if it gets, you're right, no, if it gets debilitating. From your personal experiences or accounts from other people in the healthcare field, would you happen to know where these sources of burnout, especially during the time of COVID, might be coming from? Yeah, uh, lots of places. Let's start with frontline healthcare workers. They're actually the ones who are hit by the crowds first. So physically, it's very taxing wearing the PPEs, the worry that they might be infected and that they might bring it home to their loved ones. And then a lot of tasks, a lot of smaller tasks at work because frontline work is very romanticized. 
nice, isn't it? It's always the quote-unquote big stuff. Intubation, CPR, saving lives, making things better. All of those happen. Besides, they have to fill up patient forms. They have to do charts. They have to hand off or receive patients to and from different hospitals or even units within the hospitals. That's paperwork also. They have to keep studying because we're discovering a lot of things about COVID as we speak. So they have to keep updated all the time. So those are the less romantic but equally important things that they have to do and want to get started on filling up PhilHealth forms so that the fees can be claimed. Those are a lot of small clerical tasks that pile up. Then besides that, we're in the middle of a surge now, or at least it looks like a surge because, well, patient loads are increasing, more non-COVID wards are closing and being turned into COVID wards, and the COVID team does not necessarily increase in number, okay? So we have patient volume, and then all the resources are occupied, for example, ventilators. The frontline healthcare workers have to be the ones to decide who gets the ventilator or who gets turned away. And once they decide who gets turned away, they have to do the turning away. That's what we call moral injury. So it's one of those technical terms. All it means is that the healthcare workers are being pushed to behave in ways that are not in accordance to their principles. And you don't sign up for healthcare work, medicine, nursing, respiratory therapy, everything. You don't sign up for that to tell people that you can't go elsewhere. You signed up to do things and suddenly you can't because there are no more events. So I do take care of some healthcare workers and they're messaging the night before their scheduled duty and they go, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. Nobody's going to give me available events, that kind of thing. So that's difficult. It's difficult to watch. So this brings us to non-frontline healthcare workers. So for example, those other members of the unit of the hospitals, of the institutions who support the frontline healthcare workers, they see it also. For those of us who work in mental health care because we take care of the frontliners, we see it also. The technical term for what we go through is what they call secondary traumatization because the frontline healthcare workers pretty much come to us. We listen to their stories, we process them. Then, of course, those stories hurt also. And then, personally, it hurts me a little more because you end up being a holding area for them so they're able to express themselves so they're able to vent and then you process it with them you help them feel better because you know you have to send them back to exactly what hurt them so that hurts us how would you be able to comment on that constant exposure to death over time and how that is affecting their sense of morality sense of being and stuff like that starting to starting to see your patients as tasks rather than persons. That's definitely a sign of burnout. And you said it yourself, the healthcare worker tends to notice this because that's not how they used to work. That's not how they used to see their patients because by definition, we actually love our patients. Or at least there's this fantasy that it's always so romantic, it's always so heroic. Save the world, save the patient, all of that. But in actuality, we get tired. And it looks particularly hopeless for a COVID frontliner because it doesn't end. It doesn't end. So uh, there's a tendency really because you're not expecting much better and you're tired and there's not much opportunity to rest. Your ways of thinking and feeling about your job, it, it rather deteriorates. And you're seeing that deterioration, you notice it. You know it's not what you signed up for and 
you know that that's not how you're supposed to then suddenly you start eating at yourself you start biting at yourself attacking yourself that you know what kind of a doctor am i why am i thinking this way how does this happen this isn't me that kind of thing which again further feeds into the burnout so uh it's a never-ending spiral that just keeps hurting and hurting and it's not like the pandemic is going to end soon a lot of us tend to think you know this Janine a lot of us tend to think that you know okay I'll suffer through this now because they're going to give me a diploma later I'm going to suffer through this now because when I take my exam I'm gonna pass there's always a clear end and then suddenly we're stuck in a real world pandemic and it's not that way it's not I'm just gonna finish this rotation and then life is good again that's not how our healthcare workers are living now so it really feeds itself into burnout Okay. Thank yeah. you for that. Okay, after we talk about where these sources of burnout might be coming from, where can the healthcare worker who is starting to experience these things or realizing that they are already experiencing these things, what can they do for themselves, Muna, before going to seek a professional? Professional care, okay. Lots of things, actually. Although I think they already started it, or at least some have. Look at yourself, number one. If you're wondering if you're burned out, there's a chance that you are. <laughs> you probably are. So just review. Again, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, meaning not seeing your patients as patients anymore, and then uh, decreased satisfaction in the work you do. Number one is to identify, see where you are there, if you're burned out or not, or if you're just getting there. Second, do things you like. A lot of the people who have been burned out, I think they've already done this. Nobody gets through nursing school, medical school, etc., without knowing how to take care of yourself. Let's say that didn't work. Next, take a leave. Have you tried to take a leave? That's one thing to ask yourself. And we have to make sure it's a realistic leave. Travel is clearly not going to happen anytime soon. At the very least, travel for pleasure. Even a simple leave, such as no phone, no working for a set period of time. A really good time frame to recommend is actually two weeks. Take a vacation for two weeks. Next, it's also a very common, very common advice to remember your why. Those of us who were training pre-COVID, it was a running joke among all of us. Bakit ka ba ako nagdoktor? Siyempre so, nagsabi mo nagdoktor ako. But you know, those are those are naughty jokes said in times of impatience and tiredness. But if you think about it seriously, not as a joke, what is your why? Who are you serving? So um, those of us who are clear about why we became doctors, why we became nurses, why we became healthcare workers, there's an answer, a serious one, a valid one, and a good one. But there are also times when you forget your why. Okay, And it's so easy to do so because suddenly your patients become tasks. Right? So uh, let's say that doesn't work. Next, what do you do? You be realistic. You see yourself that, you know, this is happening to you. This is what you're feeling. You have to be able to be more clear about what you want to happen. Okay? So your everyday life has to be more sustainable. Okay? So what is a realistic amount of workload for those who are in private practice? Now, for those who are in training, who theoretically don't have much choice in what load they have, prioritize. Identify which among the things you have to do are the ones that are most meaningful to you. Okay, so 
suddenly it's not so much why you're doing this. It's not just the why, but the meaning of what you're doing. If you forget your why, just make it count. With wherever it is that you're assigned to, whatever it is you're expected to do, give it meaning, make it count. Thank you so much, Dr. Tina. It's important to see things as they are, not as they aren't, or not as you wish they could be. You see yourself and you're thinking and behaving in ways that are not up to standard, then just take it. Be clear about it that, okay, this is what's happening to me. It's not okay. Then be kind to yourself. Recognize that it's burnout and you are not a horrible person or a horrible professional, a horrible healthcare worker, just because you're thinking, feeling, and behaving that way. It's burnout. It's not you. There has to be an element of forgiveness of yourself because... Tao lang. Hindi bawal mapagod. Hindi bawal magalit. Again, it's very romantic. Never fear the doctor is here. We're also human. And maybe maybe we can shift the perspective a little to seeing ourselves as delightfully human. Even when less than delightful things are happening. And these are reactions we have to highly abnormal circumstances. We are being asked to live a life we never lived before. We are asking to practice medicine in a way we never thought we would. It's so stressful. So, you know, please be kind to yourself. If you're getting angry with yourself for not being able to love your patients as you dreamed about doing, well, let's start. Uh, maybe you can look in a mirror and love yourself too. Or maybe love yourself first. It's very hard to have it for your patients if you don't have it for yourself. So that's another thing to remember. Also, if you have to cry, cry it out. We are allowed to have feelings. Feelings are like a bottle of soda. If you keep it in and you shake it, because the pandemic is shaking all of us up in an amazing way, if you don't open up about it, if you don't let it out, it will explode out in ways that are not under your control, in ways that you cannot control. And can make a really big mess that you have to clean up anyway. Best to really just let it out. Find people that can support you through it. I don't advise people who are just as burned out as you are because it's actually one of the things that contributes to burnout in the workplace. You're not able to give or receive support to your coworkers. So it's all of a piece. You could all be feeding into each other's burnout. Maybe you have family, friends that are going to better be able to support you. Next is, for some of those who are burned out, it helps them to help others. And not in the patient care factor, which is what contributed to the burnout to begin with, but maybe to reach out to a colleague who also looks burned out and needs help. Only if you're able to do so. And only if they're able to receive the help as well. How does that work? So by definition, we all went into service professions, healthcare professions, because inherently we don't want to help. And the helping gives us pleasure. And also, this breaks the streak of always COVID. So we're suddenly helping a colleague with a different sort of problem. And a lot of the times, if you're all going through the same thing, seeing the problem, seeing the trouble from the outside, gives you a little more perspective on how to help your colleague and how to help yourself. But again, no pressure. It's only if you're in the right time and space to do that. Be a good teammate also if you can, because having a good team with you staves off a lot of the burnout. Part of my work with the frontliners is that we screen them and debrief them after their COVID duty. If you ask them what's been helpful, especially the younger ones, the newer ones, who statistically are actually more likely to get burned out, they always say, it was my seniors. They're able to teach me what to do. They're able to show me 
the right thing to do, the right way to go about these things. So they get more confident and more calm about doing their job in spite of the volume. So uh, things to remember, no? Be kind, let it out. Assemble your own army, your own support group. See if you're also able to be part of someone else's support group. If you decide to take a leave as a resident, how do they process taking a leave of absence for themselves and caring for themselves, knowing fully well that their co-workers that they all care and love will suffer more because of taking a leave for themselves? That's a really, really good question. If you notice that you are burned out, you're overworked, and a leave will really, really help, be realistic, plan it out. It's not very realistic to say, to realize that I'm burned out today. I'm going on leave tomorrow. I'm not showing up tomorrow. Sorry, world. That's that's not really the that's not the reality that we're all living with, right? We know that in healthcare, every time you leave, somebody else has to do the work that you left. Okay, so of course that increases the pressure. What all of you can do as a group, this is also where good teamwork comes in. Schedule it already. You go on leave from this time period to this time period. We'll cover for you, and then it will be this person's turn. Then it will be my turn. Then let's let's all just take turns. That kind of thing. It's true that people will be working harder because you're going to be out for a while. But at the same time, they're also going to be out for a while and you'll be covering for them. And the more of you who are able to get that rest, the more likely each of you one at a time will be coming back stronger, able to take more for a little while. In effect, it's all just a matter of taking turns and covering for each other. Okay, so... Uh, how else for those who are in private practice and are experiencing burnout, that's also entirely possible. If you plan to take your leave, plan it out. Get someone to cover for you and then, you know, you can offer to trade hours of work so that you'll be able to take turns also with resting. That's one. Then another is to delegate your tasks more. So a lot of the things are filling up simple forms. Maybe some other member of your clinic staff can do that for you. And actually, if it takes you a few weeks before you can plan out the leave because you have to finish your other tasks and plan how to keep things running while you're not around, take those weeks. But in the days leading up to the actual day, you talk about it so that it becomes a little more real. So if you're seeing patients, you say, hi, so I'll be going on medical leave from this time to this time. So I'm going to ask someone to cover for me anyway. Don't worry about your care, then I'll be back after. That kind of thing. So that on your actual leave, you won't be tempted to take it back because no one knows anyway. Also, learn to say no. As trainees in school, we're always trained to say yes to everything we're being asked to do. In the name of it's all part of training, in the name of it's all part of becoming a better doctor. All of that is true. But again, it has to be realistic. Are you really able to say yes to all the things you've committed to do? And you're not a bad person for having to say no sometimes. That's really great advice, actually. They've been so busy taking care of others that they weren't able to plan ahead of time new preventive strategies. So I think that's actually something that's realistic, as you said, and could really have a huge difference with healthcare burnout, especially during the time of COVID. I see a lot of people who have taken leave of absences, they experience, I don't know what you would call it, the days before coming back, there's a huge sense of dread. Let's say they've already experienced burnout in the past. So they experience the anticipatory feel of the dread, you know, that kind of burnout again. How do you manage that? Because I mean, parang what I see is it has led to depression, from burnout to depression. Because they already had that two-week break and they know, oh, ito pala yung feeling of not being so burnt out. And they get sad over the fact that they have to go back to work. Right. So very common feeling. Well, number one, 
I think it's very important to remember to not be afraid of feeling better. <laughs> okay, so don't be afraid to feel better and don't be afraid to feel the sadness and the stress again later. Because being sad and being stressed, they are actually normal emotions. Being anxious, it's also a normal emotion. We only cross over into mental illness again if these are not controllable and these are debilitating such that we're not able to function. So yes, going back is stressful, but going back doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go back to burnout again. Why is that? Because hopefully during those two weeks that you use to rest up, you also use it to realign. Remember your why, what is the meaning of what you're doing, and what is a more efficient use of your time. What tasks can be delegated? For those who are in private practice, what is a realistic patient load for you? That kind of thing. Because nobody is on duty for nights and nights straight. You have to be able to shift your lifestyle a little to make it all more sustainable. Because if you expect to rest from your burnout, come back recovered, only to do more of the same, then let's just go straight into depression because it's not going to change. Walang magbabago kung walang pagbabago. Come in from your leave, from your burnout, with a game plan on how to make things a little more sustainable. And be more mindful. If you're trying to get back into things and then you're starting to see that you're back on the road to hell, hit the brakes. Realign prioritize because you already know how burnout feels and you don't have to feel that way anymore. And then the last question that we have for this podcast uh, right now would be when should we decide to seek professional help? So we've already discussed all of the things that we can do for ourselves and supporting each other. What about when it comes to going to a mental health professional? Ang psychologist, psychiatrist, or counselor, hindi lang siya para dun sa mga may mga sakit na. Pwede rin sila dun sa may mga pinagdadaanan. At ang pinagdadaanan nating lahat ngayon, hindi yan biro. And ang pinagdadaanan ng healthcare worker ngayon, lalong hindi yung biro. So, when do we seek consult? Anytime you want. That's the quickest, easiest answer. Anytime you want. So, this brings us into the next no? stigma. It's very difficult to consider or even accept that we're having mental health problems when we're the ones who are supposed to be taking care of those who have problems. Doctors are horrible patients. I should know. I'm a doctor. I'm a patient. We're really horrible patients, but the thing is, you don't have to be a patient before you see consult. You can actually just ask to be checked. How is that useful? Because if you noted to have burnout, or if you already know you've got burnout, it might be very, very useful to talk with someone in order to help you realign, help you remember your why, help you sort out your priorities, and, you know, to help make that change that you want to make after taking your leave into something that's a little more realistic. That's what talking with a professional can do for you, all right? So uh, just because you talk with us, that doesn't mean that you're automatically quote-unquote crazy. That's not a clinical term. So it will still be confidential, definitely. A lot of healthcare professionals feel alone in the thought that maybe they need to consult because they kind of feel that they're the only one. They don't know of anybody who has gone for consult. So uh, something to think about, why don't you know of any other healthcare professional who sought consult? Because the mental healthcare professionals don't tell anyone. It's, it's confidential, okay? So that's one important thing to remember. And well, when does it get a little more urgent to talk with a professional? When what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, how you're thinking and behaving, they're debilitating already, you're not able to function, you're not able to take care of yourself. When your distress is intolerable, you can also come for consult already. Coming for consult is not so much 
a stain on your becoming a healthcare professional. It's actually the other way around. It's making sure that there will be no future stains. Okay, so baliktad. And the goal for coming to consult is to come in having a hard time and to leave hopefully a little more relieved and with a game plan on how to make things better later. What do some healthcare professionals do? They try to find a mental health professional who is out of their circles, so that's useful, so that there's no stake in having to keep it secret and there's a little more distance. You feel a little more free and able to say everything that's on your mind and that's on your heart. So uh, that's one way to go about it so that it's still pretty much anonymous and it's a bit easier, okay? So talking to Dr. Trina was a very enlightening moment for me. Although this podcast primarily serves to help our audience members, I feel that talking about healthcare worker burnout was just as much of a healing moment for me. To be honest, getting into our interview, I didn't expect these emotions to come out. Besides remembering my colleagues I've seen suffering through burnout, I also remembered my own. So Dr. Trina's message will help a lot of us moving forward during this pandemic especially. Indeed, that was a very great conversation between you and Dr. Trina and I do hope that a lot of our healthcare workers will be able to listen to your conversations as well and understand what it means to really be there and understand their own mental welfare. Before we end, we would just like to thank all of our frontline and healthcare professionals once again who are working nonstop during this pandemic. We see these stories and posts about the different struggles and challenges our healthcare workers face each and every day. And it really doesn't end. So once again, thank you very much from all of us here from Mind Care Club for all that you do. So just as a reminder, this podcast is not a substitute for any consultation with a mental health professional. But if you feel like you need to talk to someone, you may head to mindcareclub.org to take your very first step. Join us again next week as we continue to lessen sadness in the world, one podcast at a time. Bye! Bye!